Philippians 4. Let me go ahead and pray as we look to God to understand His Word. Gracious Father, we once again come before Your presence today. We come to You. In Jesus' name, for Jesus' sake, for Jesus' purposes, we ask today that you would be pleased to help us understand this text, this truth, to grasp the reality that our God is our provider. And that you will encourage our hearts as we are at times in places, circumstances, and situations where we doubt this goodness of God, this provision of our Almighty God. And so remind us in a simple verse that we can put to memory, remind us of what it is that you're saying and what you aren't saying. And so, God, we we pray for your help to understand and apply this truth today. Once again, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in 1880, a Christian couple named George and Sarah Clark purchased the lease for the Pacific Beer Garden, promptly dropping the word beer and adding the word mission, they launched a ministry to homeless alcoholics and downtrodden men and women. Thus was born the Pacific Garden Mission of Chicago, the second oldest rescue mission in the United States. Colonel and Mrs. Clark bore the cost of the mission themselves, but as expenses grew, the ministry expanded, their their funds ran low. Eventually, the day came when they could not pay the rent. Attempts to secure the needed funds failed, and Colonel Clark was told that he had only 24 hours to make the payment. Otherwise, he would lose his lease and the Pacific Garden mission would close. Throughout the night, Colonel and Mrs. Clark prayed, asking God to guide and to provide in his own way and time. They reminded the Lord of the souls that that had been, been saved each night and of the men and women whose lives were being salvaged. They asked him why they should find themselves in such straits while lives were being, uh, while, while trying to do his work. But determining to trust and not question, they remained before the throne of grace in simple faith and in earnest pleading until the breaking of dawn. When they emerged from their Morgan uh, Park house that morning, they gasped. What had happened to their front yard? It was covered with something white, something that instantly reminded them of the manna of the Old Testament. Looking closer, they discovered their lawn was filled with mushrooms of the very best quality, which was quite mysterious because it wasn't the season for mushrooms. Gathering the crop, the Clarks carted the mushrooms down the street and sold them to the chefs at the Palmer House, the famed hotel just off Michigan Avenue, for a very large sum of money. The income they received was enough to pay the rent, 
have enough left over to meet other ministry expenses. And so the Pacific Garden Mission carried on its work under Kurt. J. Hudson Taylor, who was a pioneer in missionary work, said this, God's work done in God's way for God's glory will never lack for God's supply. God's work done in God's way for God's glory will never lack God's supply. The Apostle Paul said this in our text this morning in Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This is another one of those conditional promises like the one before it in verse 7 about the peace of God. This promise has conditions. This promise has prerequisites. You and I must do our part if we're going to experience the promise of God. But make no mistake, God makes a promise that He will keep. But again, it is conditional. Just as this peace that we can all experience is conditioned on us keeping our part, our, the commands that surround it. If we neglect to do these things which He has laid out, which we've talked about many times already, we are not assured of this peace. In the same way, there are prerequisites to the promise of God's provision. And so this morning we want to take a look at verse 19 and what those prerequisites are. What it is that God is and isn't saying in this text. But again, we must never take a verse out of its context. So I want to read from verse 10 down through the end of the chapter. To remind us again of what Paul has been saying, what we've been talking about in the weeks um, previous. Starting with verse 10. Paul writes, And I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and of going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And now to our God and Father the glo be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. 
The brethren who are with me greet you, and all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. God's promise is to provide. And I am sure that in the context of this congregation, we could have people stand and share testimony after testimony after testimony of how God has provided at a point in time when you were at your wit's end, if you will. It might have been financially. It may have been in other ways. God is always providing, but we oftentimes shine a spotlight in our hearts and our minds in those moments when it becomes uh, dire for us. When time seems to be running out, like this story of the Pacific Garden Mission. God is continuing to provide. I remember when, after I had resigned from uh, the previous church and and I, I, I tried to, to get a job, tried to send I mean, my resumes and tried to, you know, nothing was, was happening. And I started looking for other work to try and I wasn't getting that at first. And though God was continuing to provide, and I've shared that story before, how God provided through, through faithful people. I began to wonder how this is all going to happen. And I remember talking to a good friend of mine who said, Jeff, God has been providing for you the entire time. And so he's not going to stop now. And it was a good reminder to me that even when I was employed, still God provided. He provides the ability to do our job. He provides the opportunities. He provides all of what we need. God is always providing. Well, Paul makes this comment in a context. And so we want to take a look at what he's saying and what he isn't saying. Before we do that, though, what does the word supply mean? It means to fill. It means what you think it means. It means to fulfill something, to finish, or to bring to completion. So God uh, promises here, what Paul is saying is God is going to bring to completion all that you need. He will meet your need and will continue to meet that need till that need no longer exists. That's what he's saying. Now, first of all, this promise is not for everybody. It's not for everybody. Who is it for? First of all, it is for those who are believers. Because at the end of the verse, he says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. In what? In whom? In Christ Jesus. This is for those who are in Christ. <clears throat> And we are in Christ through faith in Christ for our salvation. Our faith in the person and work of Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross on our behalf. When we put our faith in him, we are said to be in him. And so throughout the New Testament, different times we, we see this phrase, in Christ, in him. And one great example is in Ephesians chapter 1. Verses uh, 3 through 14, I won't read the whole passage, but what Paul is saying here is that in Christ, all the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies are ours. 
So he says, verse 3 of chapter 1 of Ephesians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And then he goes on to enumerate several of those spiritual blessings. He says, just as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He talks about redemption. In him, verse 7, we have redemption through his blood. Talks about the summing up of all things in verse 10. In Christ. In him, verse 13, you after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. In him. All of these blessings are in Christ. And so if you're not in Christ, you don't get them. This promise is for those who are in Christ, because the promise is in Christ. Very similar to the Passover, the Old Testament. You'll recall the story. The Israelites were in bondage in Egypt, crying out to God for deliverance because they were being oppressed by the Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. But God raised up a deliverer named Moses, right? And he came. And Moses and Aaron went now ten times to Pharaoh, let my people go, says the Lord. And Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? And so he brought a plague, and then another plague, and another plague, and now we're at the tenth time. And God's plague is that the angel of death is going to come into Egypt and going to take all the firstborn of both man and beast. God told Moses to tell the people, once you, on the 14th day of the first month of the year, take a lamb, and I want you to sacrifice that lamb, and take the blood of that lamb and put it on the doorposts of your house. And then you go in the house. And if you're in the house, you're covered by the blood. When the angel of death comes, he will pass over you. They were in the house, covered by the blood, and God provided. We are in Christ through faith in Him. Covered by the blood of Jesus, God will provide for those who are in Christ covered by His blood. And we trust Him then in the midst of this to provide. It is for believers in Jesus Christ. Secondly, according to the context, it is for those who are givers. This is what Paul is writing a, in this portion, a thank you to the Philippians for their gift that they have sent more than once to meet his needs. They are givers. And Paul says, I want you to understand this. You gave to me to meet my need. My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. All of your needs. Kenneth Wiest, again, I'll, I'll quote from him. He was a, a Greek New Testament scholar at, at Moody Bible Institute. In his book, uh, Word Studies in the Greek New Testament, says of this. After verse 18, and, and this whole context of them giving to Paul, he says, Then Paul hastens to assure them that they have not impoverished themselves in giving so liberally to the cause of the gospel. 
The word supply is the translation of the same Greek word translated in verse 18, I am full. Just as Paul says, uh, I have everything in full. I have an abundance. I have more than I need. My needs are met and then some. That's the same word here, he says. That is this, that God's treatment of the Philippian saints will correspond to their treatment of Paul. Just as Paul says, you have been so faithful to give to my need, my God will be faithful to give to your need, every one of them. This is for those who give. And lest we think this is the only place we see this, let me just share with you some other scriptures. Right? Matthew chapter 6, and I'll, I'll read these, and you can look them up later if you want, or you can look them up now. But Matthew 6 Verses 32 and 33, in the context of when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is speaking about worry. And he says, you don't worry about your clothing and your food and these necessary things. He concludes and says, all these things, the Gentiles, referring to unbelievers, eagerly seek. Your Heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. All the things that you need that cause worry in our life, God knows you need them. He will supply what you need. You seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8 is what I'll read. But again, he's speaking about the Philippians in uh, verse eight, chapter 8. You remember they were the only ones who gave when he left Macedonia? Then he says in chapter 8, Now brethren, verse 1, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. And a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. He's talking about the Philippians. He says, I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Right? They weren't coerced. They weren't uh, made to give. They gave because they wanted to, not out of their ability, but beyond their ability. Verse 4, begging us, imagine this, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this is not as we had expected. But they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. This is how the Philippians gave. And he's not even talking about when they gave to Paul. He's talking about this gift he was collecting as he was traveling. He, needed, he was going back to Jerusalem at one point. And the, and the Jewish believers in Jerusalem were suffering need. And so the Gentile believers in these churches that Paul was, had started and was visiting, he was collecting from them. They didn't have much from them an offering to take back to their brethren, their Jewish brethren in Jerusalem. What a tremendous picture of the unity of the body of Christ. Remember, Jews and Gentiles didn't quite get along back then. <laughs> but they were saying, we want so bad to be part of this, please let us give. And Paul's probably saying, you don't got anything to give, we're going to give anyway. Because they wanted to be, that's the heart of the Philippians. And then you come to chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, and he's talking about giving, and he says this, Now I say, and this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. 
Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And, my, and God is able to make all the grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. There's a principle here that is throughout all of Scripture, and that is you, you reap what you sow. And it's true financially. It's true in other ways as well. But it's true financially. You're going to sow financially into the kingdom of God. You're going to reap from God out of His riches. If you want to sow into the things of this world, you're going to reap from the things of this world. You're going to sow your life into sinful behavior, you're going to reap consequences that come out of that. It's just a simple principle that God has enacted in this world that will come to be. When you sow into something, you will reap from that. And he says, this is the reality. Sow sparingly, reap sparingly. Sow bountifully, reap bountifully. But he also says this, God loves a cheerful giver. Do not give grudgingly or under compulsion. It is not my intention today or any other day for that matter to ever make anyone feel like you all have to give. See, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and mine to work this in. But there are some who want to give but do not believe they can afford to give. And I want to talk to that right now. I want to tell you, you can afford to give. If you want to, you can afford to. It's an issue of priority. It's that simple. Now, if you don't want to give, don't give. Don't give. But I will tell you, if you are a believer in Christ and you don't want to give, you better ask God to give you a want to. Because giving financially out of a portion out of what God has blessed you with is an evidence of a genuine conversion in Christ. And if you have no desire to give to God's work, then you better ask God to work in your heart. Because it starts with a want to. And God loves a cheerful giver. And these people were begging for an opportunity to give, not out of their abundance, but out of their poverty. They wanted to participate in this way. And they found a way. And he says, God will make all grace abound. Jesus, again, in Luke 6, he's speaking to crowds of people. And he's, again, sharing this whole principle of, what, of, of sowing and reaping, if you will. He says, love your enemies and do good. And lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great. You'll be sons of the Most High. For He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Heavenly Father is merciful. Do not judge, or you will be judged. Do not condemn, you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. See the principle. What you sow, you will reap. If you're kind to people, kindness will come back to you. That doesn't mean that every person will be kind to you in every way. But kindness will return to you. If you are ignorant and mean and nasty to people, guess what's going to come back to you? And I would just say that if you find that you get more nastiness from people than goodness, then you might want to stop back and look at yourself and say, how am I giving out? What am I giving out? Again, there's exceptions to the rule, but 
The reality is we get back what we put out. And then he concludes with verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, <clears throat> they will pour uh, into your lap. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. And this is true in financial giving. It's true in every way. As we give, God gives back. You cannot give God your time, your talents, or your treasure. Go to the Old Testament. <clears throat> Malachi 3. I alluded to this last week. Let me read it for you. Again, given the context, I'll read 7 through 12. This is, this is written to the, the people of God that have returned from exile in Babylon. They've now come back after 70 years of exile. And God says this through the prophet, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Which you say, how shall we return? No wonder, that, that probably would be a legitimate question because they've now returned, right, physically from Babylon to here. How, what are you talking about? We're here. We've returned, right? He says, will a man rob God? Yeah, you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. He says, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it may not destroy the field, the fruits of the ground, nor the vine in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. God says, test me. Bring it. You don't think you can afford it? Test me. See what I might do. Sounds like very similar to what Jesus said about it being it running over and, and pouring out into our lap. And then a couple of Proverbs. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And in Proverbs 11.25, a generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. Pour out, it will pour out to you. This promise is for those who give. One last quote, and we'll move on. Warren Wearsby. He says, there is an interesting contrast between Philippians 4.18 and 4.19. We might state it this way. If we were to paraphrase Paul, it says this. You met my need, God is going to meet your need. You met one of need that I have, my God will meet all of the needs that you have. You gave out of your poverty, but God will supply your need out of his riches in glory. This promise is not for everybody. Now, there is a sense in which, right, Jesus said, the Lord, God pours rain out on the righteous and the unrighteous. There is a, an element of provision God has made for all creation. Without it, we wouldn't be able to live. But this promise to provide all your needs is for 
those who believe in Christ and those who are willing to obey His Word in this matter of giving and participating in the work. And it's between you and God what that amount is. I encourage you, ask the Lord to show you how He would have you participate in this way in giving to the work of the Lord, local church and beyond. That's uh, the call of God in our life. To give back as we trust Him. Secondly, and this is important because of the context in which we live and the, and the heretical teachings that are going on in, in some places. And that is, this promise is not for everything. He will supply all your needs. Not everything you want. Sometimes we get our needs and our wants mixed up. Especially when you live in an affluent society like we do. Doug Lawson, Larson said this, and I like the way he said it. What some people mistake as the high cost of living is really the cost of high living. Again, we live in the United States of America in, 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 a, in an abundance of affluence. We don't even understand the difference at times between <laughs> high living and the cost of high high cost of living. We oftentimes think that our wants are our needs. And I'm including myself in that. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching to us all. We are not aware of how affluent we are. And I, I would say if, uh, if you want to find this out, um, when our missionaries come back off the field to visit us, ask the question. Do you think that we are living in affluence and not even realizing it? Um, you might be surprised if you hear. I, I, I've actually talked to a missionary some time ago who literally was sick to his stomach when he came back to America. Not necessarily at any one person, but just walking into uh, the, the culture we live in, the grocery store, and just seeing the absolute affluence that we have. Just sick to his stomach. At the waste. We don't even understand this. Because we grew up in it. And all I say is. That to think about this quote. What some people mistake as the high cost of living. Is really the cost of high living. And. Um, we have to be mindful of this reality. When we are. <laughs> when we are complaining about. And. and um, about all the things we don't have. Once again, Wearsby, he says, God has not promised to supply our greed. <laughs> when a child of God is in the will of God, serving for the glory of God, then he will have every need met. And then he quotes that Hudson Taylor quote, when God's work is done in God's way <clears throat> for God's glory, it will not lack its God's supply. In essence, what Paul is saying in verse 19 is for us is what he said of himself in verse 13. He says, listen, I, I know what it's like to live in whatever circumstance, whether it's with abundance or with a need, because I've learned this, the secret, and that is that I can do all things through Christ 
who strengthens me, right? He's the one who strengthens me. That's who I trust in. That's who I look to. He's the one that gives me everything I need, whether it's financial needs or whether it's physical needs, whether it's strength to do the job he's called me to do, everything he's called me to, he's given me the supply for that. And he says, and I want to tell you, that's true for you too, because my God will supply all that you need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. All that you need, you have in Christ. It's not everything we want, but it's everything we need. And again, we've got to work at understanding the difference. doesn't mean that we can't enjoy some things that are beyond our needs. All things are for our enjoyment. It's just that we have to understand the difference between what we need and what we want as we understand this promise. He will supply all your needs. Secondly, he will supply according to his riches. Right what the text says. Where does this come from? It comes from God's riches. In other words, when God's riches run out, the promise no longer applies. When will God's riches run out? Never. Never. I'll quote from a commentator. It says, He will meet your need to the full. In doing so, His supply will not be limited by the size of your need, but rather according to his riches. Sometimes we say, man, this is a big need. <laughs> really big. Okay? How big is God's storehouse? We tend to focus on our need rather than, rather than the one who can meet the need and what he has at his access. I remember as a kid hearing that quote from the Psalms. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and I'm thinking, who cares? Right? About cattle on a hill, I don't understand that. God owns it all, and through that, he can supply all of our needs. According to his riches in glory, he goes on to say, as if it was not enough reassurance for us to carry on into the future, Paul adds this word, in glory. It's hard to know what that means exactly. It may supplement the verb, it may supplement the verb supply, may, meaning he will supply in glory, that is, in glorious measure. It may describe the riches. He will supply in a measure appropriate to his glorious riches. It may mean in glory land. That is, all the resources of heaven are laid at disposal of the Christian on earth. This is the wealth of his supply. I don't even know what exactly means in glory. It just means that it's there, and he will supply it, and it will always be there. But then he says, and this is a reminder to us, the key to all of this is in Christ Jesus. It is Christ who mediates to us all the benefits and blessings of God. More than that, he is himself the sum of all the blessings. For the preposition is not through Christ, it's but, but it's in Christ. He is not the channel through which they flow, but the place in which they are deposited. That's why it's for us, a believer. We're in Christ, therefore all this is in Christ. It's finally because of Christ that Paul is contented it is Christ whom he offers to us as the means and guarantee of our contentment. For Paul, the person who possesses Christ, possesses it all. You have Christ, 
you have everything you need. If you don't have Christ, you're in trouble. We're in Christ. And we can rest in the reality that He will take care of us in every way that we have need. <clears throat> Let me finish by sharing a, a testimony. This is a testimony of a, of a couple that we, we don't know, but uh, they wrote this letter and their pastor read it in a, in a sermon. This was back in, in the 90s. But I think it's really important for us to hear this again and to, again, remind us that when we trust God, He, he will come through. They write this. Julie and I started attending commun Christian Community Community Christian Church in January of 93 after moving from here from California. We moved here for business opportunity that ended up not working out. And <clears throat> we soon found ourselves <clears throat> in desperate financial situation. We're behind in our rent and our car payments. We had back IRS payments, 16 credit cards with more than 40000 in debt, and not enough food in the fridge to keep our tummies full. On top of all that, we decided to start another business. Well, in the middle of this, John, apparently was one of the, one of the pastors of the church, had challenged us to include our finances in our commitment to follow Jesus, and I really struggled with this. It wasn't that I didn't want to support the church or set an example for others to follow. It was, in fact, that on occasion, Julie and I were so broke, we ended up going to a friend's restaurant to ask for free food. I thought, if, if I'm struggling to keep my family, how can I commit what I don't have to God what am I supposed to do? Just write a check for 10% of my income and hope that something happens? He writes, but John urged me to trust God and do it anyway. After prayer and discussion, we decided that God would get the first portion of every check, not just what was left over and we were willing to give each week. We learned to make God the first priority in our lives. We had no idea how we'd get by. During the week after this decision, my brother and I were dropping off flyers at a construction site looking for work. We'd started a carpentry company. We met a builder, and he asked if we were interested in doing their work. He had a house that was ready for us to start immediately and about 20 more to do during the next 12 months. Julie and I no longer questioned how we'd honor our financial commitments, and so we decided to increase our giving. If our story ended there, it would be a good story. However, we cannot outgive God. Over the next couple of years, through a complicated and divinely orchestrated series of events, Julie and I also went from renters to homeowners. Owning a home has given us the ability to restructure the debt that we had to give us some more security and stability in our lives. We felt the need to tell our story. The story is much, much more than about finances. It's about faith. Stepping out and trusting God with all that we have, our lives, our future, our relationship, and even our finances. And now as I reflect on this story, and what we experienced, I'm still trying to answer one question. What exactly was it that we actually sacrificed? See, it's all about trusting God. It's about entrusting to God our lives. To believe that God really is sovereign. He really is in control. And He really does care about us. It's about trusting that He is all wise and all loving. 
has a good plan and a good purpose for our lives. Not just our finances. All of our lives. See, he sees the beginning and the end the same. He knows that at the end of our life, when we look back, we see everything that we've been a part of. Everything that we've been able to be to do, everything we've been able to give to, everything we've been able to be a part of. And we, we are able to see the impact of all that. See, he's looking at that. We tend to look at just today and say, what, how am I going to do this? How am I going to provide for the future? How am I going to, am I being responsible? Am I being this? Am I that? We get all caught up in all the now. And God says, I want to pick you up out of that. And I want you to see beyond the now. And though you don't have the ability to see in the future, I do. I know what I want to accomplish in and through you. If you would trust me. Trust me today for what you don't understand tomorrow. I'll take care of tomorrow. <clears throat> Every one of us, when we stand before God one day, we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We want to know in that moment what we didn't understand back then. The only way we're going to get there is if we trust God here. He knows what He's doing. He knows what He wants to accomplish in us. Can I trust Him now to know what that will look like and what the impact of this will all be one day? What the legacy will be. Only God knows all that. We can trust Him to be the one who will meet us and give us everything we need to do everything He's called us to do until He calls us home. Oh, gracious God, thank You. Thank You for Your Word riches it has for us to remind us of who you are, to encourage us to trust you. Lord, I am very mindful of the fact that in the hearing of my voice today, there are those who, who can give a hearty amen. They've lived through much of this. And they've seen the faithfulness of God. And there are some who are on the front end of this and are saying, but you don't understand what I'm in right now. You don't know my situation. I don't. And God does. And so, Lord, for all of us, it comes down to this simple thing. Do we believe you at your word? Do we trust you? And what you say in your word is true. And what you say, what you promise us, you will keep every promise. Help us to do our part. And Lord, I know that there may be somebody right now who, who is even in that place of saying, I, I don't even know that I trust, that I believe there is a God and that I can trust Him for my eternal destiny. But I ask that by Your Holy Spirit, You will begin a work in them. They earnestly desire to know truth. That you will reveal that to them. Help them understand. 
world is filled with so many messages that are contrary to the Word of God, we get confused. Would you give clarity? Would you give clarity on that message? Would you give clarity to us in all these moments? Because we desire our lives to live to the glory of your name. And we make the impact you want to make. So thank you, Father. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior, Lord.